Man, what a powerful time of worship. Amen. I have a question for you this morning. How many of you know the ping pong, the parental ping pong of ask mom, ask dad? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I got some show of hands there. If you're in the chat, that's right, put a hand emoji in the chat. <laughs> Look, I'm sure we all can relate, right? Your parents, this is just what we do as parents. You want to buy something, you go to your dad, and their answer is, go ask mom. So you go over to your mom, say, mom, can I get this? And she says, go to your dad, right? And it's this parental ping pong of ask mom, ask dad, and it goes back and forth. Well, the reason I share with you that this morning is there was a specific moment uh, in my life. I just remember it growing up. I grew up in the church, and uh, I had a cousin who we always hung out on Sundays. And so it would be a frequent thing that would happen. I would ask my parents, say, can I go over to my cousin Dale's house? And they would, it would just go back and forth. My dad would say, go ask your mom. My mom would say, go ask your dad. And it was just like going back and forth. So here's what happened. One Sunday, I decided I didn't want to play parental ping pong of ask mom and ask dad. So I go to my dad and I say, dad, can I go to Dale's house this afternoon? And sure enough, he said, ask mom. And in my craftiness, in my limited understanding, I said, well, she said, yes. <laughs> yeah, y'all already know where this is going. My parents, they talk, they know what's happening. And sure enough, it doesn't end well for me. So here's why I share that with you. Maybe some of you guys can relate to that. Maybe you can relate to the fact that parents do this. But here's the thing. I think the reality is, is we do the same exact thing with God. We think we know better than God. We think that God doesn't really know it all. And so we craft our arguments, our own understandings, our own human logic, and we try to catch God in a trap to get him to do what we want, to have it our way. See, we forget that God is God and we're not. We forget that God sees in full and we only see in part. And so every time we try to trap God, it doesn't end well for us. This is what I believe the Lord is going to teach us this morning. So if you have a copy of God's word, I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 20. And we're going to start in verse 19. Now, as you guys are turning there, as you're pulling it up on your browser, on your Bible app, here's where we've been. Last week, Jesus is establishing his authority. He's the one saying, hey, I'm the one who's calling the shots. This week, this is the religious leader's response to that. So Jesus had established his authority. He's the one calling the shots. And now what we're going to see is them bucking up against that authority. And here is their response. Let's read verse 19. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him 
at that very hour. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. So here's their question. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. So let's just play a, a quick game of recap of what's going on here. Jesus had established his authority. He had shared this parable and they perceived, man, this is about us. Jesus is talking about us. And so it says that they sought to lay hands on him, literally to grab him, to move him along, to, to, to give him to the authorities. Now, I, I must say, when I first read that, <laughs> I read it the wrong way. I'll just be honest. I was taking my cultural lens, my own present day interpretations. I thought he said he was about to catch hands. You know what I'm saying? I thought he was saying that he, if y'all got it, y'all understand what I'm saying? Laying hands literally just meant to move him, to grab him. But I literally thought that, oh, man, they were up in the corner. They would say, like, Jesus is about to catch these hands. You know what I'm saying? That, that was not the right, which, again, warning for y'all, don't take our own present-day cultural things and impose them on the text. That, that's wrong. And so it's a trap, though. Here's what they did. They sent spies. They tried to get him to be, the, these spies to be all buddy-buddy with Jesus. They, they, they're sincere. They're, they're, they're trying to be friends. Jesus, you, you know, you're so good. You're, you're so good at teaching. Jesus, you teach rightly. You truly speak the word of God. And then they say, well, here's a question that I'm going to use because I want you to be trapped. Here's the trap. Here's why that question is a trap. Is it lawful? To give tribute to Caesar or not? Two things. Two things for you. On one hand, everybody knows that you're supposed to pay the tribute. You're supposed to pay the taxes to the Romans. Because if you don't, guess what? You're going to get in trouble with the authorities. They're going to take you away. But then on the other hand, the Israelites, they didn't like to pay tribute to Rome. Why? They didn't want to pay tribute to Caesar because to pay tribute, to pay those taxes, is to accept the authority over them. And they only had one authority, Yahweh God. And so for them to pay tribute, it was a, a, a rub against them. They didn't do it because they wanted to. They did it because they had to. So Jesus, when they're asking this question to Jesus, they're trying to catch him in a trap. Ultimately, they're trying to get Jesus to pledge allegiance to either Caesar and Rome or to Israel. But Jesus isn't having it. 
The text says, Jesus perceived their craftiness. Verse 23. He perceived their craftiness. He knew that they were creating this argument to catch Jesus in a trap. So Jesus, in all wisdom, he says, pulls out, he says, pull out a, a denarius, a coin. Then he said, tell me, whose image, whose inscription is on the coin? They replied, well, it's, it's obvious, Jesus, Caesar. And so Jesus responds and he says, then render, give tribute to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. Here's what Jesus is doing. They're operating temporally in this present age, in this earthly understanding, creating their own argument as to Jesus. Where are you going to show allegiance to? To Rome or to Israel? And Jesus says, man, you guys are operating here. There's a heavenly reality that you don't understand. He's being intentional about his words. When he's saying, look at the coin, whose image is on it, whose inscription is on it, that represented ownership. So therefore, right, the coin belongs to Caesar. Give it to him. But he's being intentional about his wording. Wording. The chief priests, the scribes, they knew this. Why? They knew the Torah. What does it say? Genesis 1, 26 to 27, at the very beginning. Who is created in the image of God? Who is created after his likeness? We are. Humanity is. Therefore, yes, render to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar... But the real question, the heart question is, are you giving to God what belongs to God? It's a hard issue. And Jesus is doing this intentionally. They try to trap him, and it doesn't go well for them. It literally says that they just, they're stunned. They're, they're silent. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. They couldn't say anything. So they tried to trap Jesus legally, tried to get him in trouble with the Roman authorities, and it failed. They fell flat on their face. So what do they do now? Okay, we, we, we can't, Jesus didn't fall into the trap legally. We couldn't get the Roman authorities to go and take him away. So we need to try another way. Maybe the, his own people can turn against him. And this is what we read in the next verse. So starting in verse 27, it says this. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And the second and the third took her and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. And this is their question. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will this woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus, 
This is his reply. He said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him questions. Yeah, let's just paraphrase. I know that was a lot of text. We're going to paraphrase real quick what just happened. They couldn't trap Jesus legally, couldn't get the Roman authorities to take him away. So what do they do? They offer this religious predicament. There's this group of people named the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection, by the way. And what are they doing? They're, they're like, oh, we're next up to bat. We're going to put Jesus in this trap. And so here's what they do. They craft up this argument and present it to Jesus, even saying Moses said this, right? Going back and saying Moses said this. What did Moses say? Well, if a man had a wife and they did not have offspring and the, the husband died, then the brother is responsible, it's his religious duty, to then take that woman as his wife and give her an offspring. Then they go through this whole scenario. Well, what if the second brother dies and the third brother dies, the four, five, six, seven brothers all died without giving her offspring and then she dies, they try to trap Jesus. They say this, well, then in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Because all seven of them took her as wife. This is a trap. I mean, I can follow the logic. But yeah, if all of them took her as a wife, then in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? They, they claimed Moses. They, they quoted Moses. But Jesus, again, in all wisdom, says, you're operating here, creating your reasoning, your logic. You're, you're, you're trying to find a reason to rebel against me. He, you're operating here. Jesus points them to a heavenly reality, which is what? He says, in this age, you're married and given to marriage, but in the age to come, if you're able to attain to that age, in the resurrection, there is no marriage. You're not giving one to marriage and giving another to marriage. The only marriage that is, is Jesus Christ and his bride. And you know what's so funny? Jesus does them another one. He gives them another reason. He says... You quote Moses? You say Moses told you this? Well, Moses also did this. Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. This is the passage of Scripture that Jesus is referencing. Moses said this. He showed this when he said that God is the God of Abraham. The Lord God is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. 
He is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. So again, Jesus, in all wisdom, is saying, you're operating here with your earthly arguments and your earthly understanding. You see in part, God sees in full. There's a heavenly reality that you're just completely missing. So they tried to trap Jesus legally. They tried to trap him religiously. And it doesn't go well for them. It says right there at the very end, teacher, you have spoken well. That's what they say to Jesus. And then they no longer dare to ask Jesus a question. Like Jesus has shut them up so much that they don't even bother to ask Jesus a question anymore. And Jesus is like, we're not done yet. Instead of them now asking Jesus a question, Jesus turns it around on them and begins to ask them a question. Look what it says in verse 41. But he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And that's the question right there. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? You know, we were studying the passage together, the teaching team, and it was so interesting to know who Jesus was speaking to. He's speaking to the Sadducees. Now, yes, they don't believe in the resurrection, but also their whole claim to fame, their whole reason why they're in religious authority is because they are from the lineage of the high priest that served David. Here's the thing. Jesus is being highly intentional here. He's using a passage of scripture that they know, using a passage of scripture that they'd be familiar with, that is relatable to them. Your claim to fame is David, and yet he's saying, I'm the one that you were awaiting for. I was the one that you were waiting for. David called me his Lord, is what Jesus is getting at here. And Jesus is doing this time and time again. There's a pattern that's been going on. If you haven't seen it, just think about it with me. Here he's doing it right now in, in terms of saying, sorry, saying, look, your lineage, you think it's David, I am the Lord. Just go back and think about the resurrection. What does he do? Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. He's quoting a passage of scripture that they would know, that they're familiar with. And he's saying, again, you're operating here, but this is what Moses said. I'm the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. I'm not the God of the dead. I'm the God of the living. And he did it again with the coin. Again, the inscription, the image, it should spark something in their mind to know that he's talking about Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. They are created in the image of God, and therefore, yes, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's, but give to God that which is God's. They keep trying over and over to trap Jesus in his own words, and ultimately, they're just 
in their hearts. They're rebelling against his authority that he had established. Jesus wasn't having it. He tells them, you're operating here. There's a heavenly reality that you are completely missing. And so Jesus then gives them a warning. He speaks to his disciples and he gives them a warning. Look at what it says in verse 45. And so in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater judgment. Jesus here. He's talking to his disciples, but he knows that everybody is listening. The scribes, the chief priests, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, they all are listening. And what does Jesus say? Beware. Beware of the scribes. Beware of these religious people who put on outward appearance, they love wearing the long robes. They love being welcomed into the synagogue. They love the high seats. They love all these things. But then he, he points out the issue, their heart. Outwardly, they love receiving all this praise. But inwardly, there's evil. There's wickedness. There's rebellion. They don't want to submit to Jesus as king. They don't want to submit to his authority because they love, again, the outward appearances. But their hearts are far away. But here's, here's what I don't want us to miss. Jesus is speaking to his disciples here. And what is he saying? He says, beware. Why would Jesus say beware? Why should they be wary of the scribes? And here's why. Because Jesus knows that it's an issue of the heart, that they too, just like the scribes, can operate the same way. That they too can fall into trying to make earthly arguments in certain situations as why not to surrender to Jesus and they can ultimately rebel against Jesus' authority. That's what the scribes were doing. It's what the chief priests were doing. It's what all of them were doing. And he's saying, beware, my disciples. Because it's so easy to point the finger at them. My dad always said, when you point the finger at somebody else, three are pointing right back at you. You can say, man, they're, they're evil. They're, they're outward appearances and they're evil in their heart. Well, guess what? Jesus is saying, beware. Because that could be you. And can I just say this morning to all of us here in the room, at home, online, at work, we too can fall into the same trap. Where we craft, we think we're crafty. We, we try to create our own arguments as why not to surrender to Jesus. Why not to pledge our allegiance to him. 
man, can I just be honest with y'all really quickly? Some of us this morning, you're crafting this morning your own arguments as why not to follow Jesus. Some of us this morning, some of you at home, you're dealing with an issue of the heart. And you're, the things that you're doing on the outside are just symptoms of what's really going on in here. You're saying, why should I surrender my life to Jesus when everything in my life is going bad? Why? You're crafting the argument and saying, why should I surrender my life to King Jesus when I'm struggling? My life is in shambles. Why should I give my allegiance and my surrender to King Jesus when he never healed my mom? And he never healed my dad. The cancer came back. That person hurt me. You're crafting argument after argument. Sometimes it's the other side of the argument, too. It's saying, why should I follow King Jesus? Everything in my life is good. Again, I don't want you to miss this. We can create argument after argument after argument, but don't miss the heavenly reality. And here's the heavenly reality. You and I are created in the image of God. After his likeness. And we're all intended, the way we were created was to rightly reflect God. But we've chosen to rebel against our God. We've chosen to do things our own way. And because of our rebellion, we've been separated from God, and we deserve death. The wages of sin is death. But here is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel tells us that Jesus, who is the very image of the invisible God, stepped down from heaven and came to live among us. And he showed us, he, he not only showed us, but he did it. He lived the perfect life, rightly reflecting God. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He died the death that you and I deserve. Jesus Christ was obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. He died. But again, our, our God's not the God of the dead. Our God is the God of the living. And so on the third day, God rose Jesus from the grave. Having victory over sin and death, Jesus ascends to the Father where he is right now. And he promised, this is what he promised. He said, I'm coming back for those who are mine. That's right. He's coming back. So the question remains, 
Yes, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, but have you given to God what rightly belongs to God? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? You were made in his image. You were made in his likeness, but have you given your life? Have you pledged your allegiance? Have you surrendered your life to King Jesus? Listen, I'm just going to be short with you guys. Listen, this morning, some of you, you need to take that next step. God is calling you. You know that you've been made in his image. You know that you've been made in his likeness, and he's beckoning you. Come, pledge your allegiance to me. Surrender your life to me. This morning, we have a baptism right there. Do you know what baptism is? Baptism is an outward representation, an outward picture of something that's already happened in our hearts. Jesus came for your heart. When you step into the baptism pool, you're saying, okay, I've chosen to follow Jesus. And when you go down into the water, you're signifying, I no longer live for myself. The old me is dead. It's gone. But again, our God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And so when you come out of the water, you are raised to walk in the newness of life with King Jesus. You have an opportunity this morning to say, I surrender all. I'm choosing to follow you, Jesus. You gave your life for me. I want to follow you. But again, I just want to be real honest with you guys this morning. Some of you this morning, you've already pledged your allegiance to Jesus. Praise God. You've already said, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. You are king. You are Lord. But if you're just a little bit honest with yourself this morning, you're still crafting arguments. You're still thinking that you can catch Jesus in a trap to get him to do what you want. It's not going to end well for you. Listen, some of you this morning, you know exactly what God is calling you to. And if you're honest, you're creating argument after argument, reason after reason as why not to be obedient. God is calling some of you to serve. And your argument is that, well, I don't got the time. God is calling some of you to be generous, not just financially, but with your time and with your talents. You're saying, well, who am I? I don't really got it like that. Some of you, you know that God is calling you to a specific place and to a specific people. And you're like, well, right now it just doesn't make sense. We just got settled. Kids are in school. It doesn't make sense. You're crafting argument after argument after argument. Some of you this morning, you know that you've been holding on to sin and addiction. And God is beckoning you to come forward. He's beckoning you online where you are to confess your sins. He's calling you to surrender to him. You're trying to hold on to it and you're crafting arguments even right now. But I'm a leader in my D group. 
I'm a leader in my community group. I'm a pastor. You can create argument after argument after argument as why not to be obedient. But can I just tell you this? There is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can walk in freedom today. If you believe that Jesus has died in your place, then it is done, paid in full. You can release it this morning. I just want to respond. Respond. Stop trying to hold it. Respond and let it go. You've already pledged allegiance to Jesus. Listen, you can make your arguments and try to think you can have it all together, but again, God doesn't operate like that. You see in part, he sees in full. You don't have to know all the reasons why God is calling you to a specific thing. All you need to do is be obedient. Pastor Jason has said it before in his sermon. Understanding can wait. Obedience cannot. So I just want to challenge you this morning. Whatever your response is, if it's to be baptized, praise God. If it's to confess sin, praise God. If it's to just be here on the steps and cry out to God, unashamed, just before him and worshiping him, do it. You don't have to understand why God is calling you to it. You need to be obedient. So I just want to challenge you. As the prayer team comes forward, our pastors and staff, they come forward, you respond as you sense the Spirit leading you. Let's do that right now.